0: What does it really mean to be saved? If you've ever seen someone rescued from drowning or rescued from a burning building, or maybe released from, or rescued from an automobile wreck, you know that being saved is a very real experience where salvation for those people that were saved literally changes and and rescues their lives. In our Christian tradition, when we say, I've been saved, or when we talk about the phrase salvation, what is it we really mean? We are certainly rescued from something, but let's talk today a little bit more about what does it mean when we say salvation? How do we really be saved? Our scripture from the second chapter of Ephesians using these uses these words, For by grace you have been saved by faith. Our other scripture from the third chapter of John says this, probably the most famous verse in all the Bible, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. We can say that in our Christian terminology, our Christian understanding of salvation, this idea of being saved is started from God's initiative. Two weeks ago, we talked about what the cross really means. And we were reminded of the shape of the cross, this vertical with a horizontal, and in many ways we can say that the the vertical represents the connection between God's eternal and our temporal. God's eternal comes into our temporal, and there's this mystic, beautiful connection that we can't fully describe, but generation unto generation, we have these testimonials of regular people like you and me sensing that there's something going on in our hearts, in our spirits, that's not so much our initiative, not something that we can generate, as much as it is a connection outside of ourselves. God's eternal presence is is somehow intermingling with our temporal experiences. This then empowers us to this horizontal connectedness. As we said two weeks ago, that this sense of community now is somehow given that much more meaning and we are empowered to be better friends and parents and children because God has connected us to the eternal and our temporal so that with the horizontal, we now have a better sense of how to act And interact with those around us. We can then be what we've said before, channels of God's blessings. God's eternal presence moves in us and through us and from us so that we can then bless those around us and they too then can become blessings to those around them. What does it really mean to be saved? Well, it's God's initiative in our lives. Let's talk A little bit more about how that works for God so loved the world it is God's initiative in you and in me God loves you God loves me and this connectedness to God's eternal presence this somehow mysterious interaction in our hearts and our spirits with God's presence is somehow this uh, sense of, of, of God's being with us, that from the earliest part of our Christian tradition, and even into our Judeo-Christian tradition, our spiritual forebears have been trying to somehow put into words, explain, and, and tell stories about how this happens and what we're to do. What does it really mean to be saved? Well, How does this work? How do we translate this into our everyday lives? Well, the first thing we've got to do, how to really be saved, the first thing that you and I must do is simply say yes. We respond yes to God's initiative. For God so loved the world. God loves you, God loves me. We say yes. Paul illustrates this in the fourth chapter of Romans talking about Abraham as really the first responder of faith. Uh, Abraham was, in our tradition, the patriarch, the first one in Christian tradition, Jewish tradition, and in Muslim tradition, too, to say yes to God's initiative. Uh, we say this is uh, a response of, of faith through God's grace. This is the wording in the second chapter of Ephesians. By grace you were saved, By grace, God interjected into Abraham's life this new initiative of something happening in his heart. He didn't understand it. He had no idea what was going on. He had no real history, no theological background, no training to help him understand what was happening in his life. So Paul illustrates in the fourth chapter of Romans that Abraham is kind of clueless to how to proceed but he says yes in his unknowingness. He simply responds in the affirmative to some new thing going on in his life. As a result, he begins a journey both physically from Ur in the land of Chaldees up the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and then down the Mediterranean coast. He ends up in Canaan then goes to Egypt and he comes back. In the process, Abraham makes some probably less than wise choices. He doesn't know exactly how to respond in certain cases. It would be interesting to ask Sarah, Abraham's wife, what she thought of some of the choices that Abraham made along this journey of his, both physically and spiritually. The result though is this gradual opening up and and gradual evolution of Abraham's understanding Of himself and of his faith." Well, this stands as kind of a a metaphor for Paul, a reminder, a story that, that Paul utilizes to help teach us. What was it that Abraham did? How was Abraham saved, to use our Christian terminology? He was saved by God's initiative in his life, but his response to God's initiative was to say, yes, to the journey. For you and me, how to really be saved, the first thing we've got to do is simply say yes to God's initiative in our life. For God so loved the world. God so loves you and me. There is this this eternal connection in you and in me in our temporal lives that can be and is life-changing if we say yes. We also have the necessity to say no. So we say yes to God's initiative, but we also must say no now to foolish choices, to things that will be unhealthy and unhelpful in our journey of faith. You know, as well as I do, there are all kinds of things out there that are less than affirming, less than positive, uh, less than good choices for you and for me so we say yes to god's initiative yes to the potential of moving forward in faith and we say no to things that will be harmful to us physically spiritually emotionally mentally we say no to things that will drag us down and and even no sadly to Some of the folks maybe we've been hanging around in the past that tend to be more negative or cynical. Maybe it's better for us to move in a direction that is positive and affirming and life-giving. It is our response, the call to say yes to God's initiative, the value of saying no to foolish choices. And finally, the third element of how to really be saved, yes to God's initiative, no to foolishness and and bad choices, and then stepping forward in faith. Abraham is used by Paul as an illustration, but uh, just this past week, we've had another reminder of another person in our church history who said yes and who said no and who stepped forward in faith on Thursday this past week, probably you, like I, uh, like me, (laughs) were supposed to wear green. Remember shamrocks? Uh, Perhaps put on a a green hat. In some way, participate in St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day, for most of us, is a fun, just uh, kind of a a thing where pre-pandemic, some of us may have even gone to St. Patrick's Day parties or or participated together in some kind of of commemoration of this important day if you were of Irish descent, or even if you're not of Irish descent. It's just a fun reminder of St. Patrick's Day parties and experiences. What most of us rarely do is stop to think about even who St. Patrick was and what St. Patrick did. Now, some of us grew up hearing, well, St. Patrick was an Irish saint who talked to people about the Trinity by using a shamrock. Or, St. Patrick got all the snakes out of Ireland and made it a beautiful, clean place. Well, both of those things may or may not be true. But what we do know about St. Patrick is that he started his life named Patricius. He was a young man in Roman Britain. Uh, Britain in those days was a Roman province of the Roman Empire. He lived in the capital of Britannia, which was the Roman province of, of that what is today England. The town was Londinium. And today, of course, that Londinium Roman town is London. As a 16-year-old young man, 15, 16 years old, He was kidnapped by Irish pirates. He was taken by ship to Ireland. In those days, it was called Ibernia in Greek or Scotus in Latin. And he was forced to work as a slave. He had to be a shepherd, a slave shepherd caring for sheep. And as Patricius, as St. Patrick recalled those early days as a 16-year-old young man, moving through the hills of Ireland as a shepherd he said I had two companions one was hunger the other was cold I had no clothing I had no shelter and I had no food he said I was freezing cold all the time and I was always hungry it was a journey that was horrible and as a young man he had grown up in a Roman family in London in Londinium he had been trained through church teachers and priests who had taught him rudiments of Latin grammar, and he knew a little bit about the church, but he had no real grounding in faith. And so as a as an enslaved person now in the hills of Ireland working with sheep and no interaction with other human beings, he was all by himself, completely isolated. And he had no real sense of even how to pray, but as most people acknowledge in times of difficulty, especially in, in terrible times of captivity, there is a natural inclination in virtually all human beings to figure out some way of, of praying, of asking for help, of looking beyond ourselves. It was in this capacity that St. Patrick began to experience some kind of mysterious interaction with what he later determined was God's presence in his life, God's still small voice speaking to him inside, words of comfort in the midst of his discomfort, uh, words of help in the midst of his extreme difficulties. After about six years of being enslaved and working as a shepherd and, and having so long, many times of isolation, this voice, this inner guidance, this mysterious union with God, ended up calling on him to move for his freedom. So he'd been enslaved for six years, and all of a sudden he gets this inspiration to begin walking to the east. Well, he was, it turns out, a couple of hundred miles away from the coast, but went through all kinds of adventures, got to uh, coastal cities. They they think. Uh, Somehow he was fortunate enough to find a a ship that was headed to the continent and then back to London. After a number of other adventures, and some estimate perhaps as many as another five to seven years, Patrick finally makes it back to London, reunites with his family. They're overjoyed and hear all of his adventures and the tragic times of spending his life as a shepherd's slave strangely after several years patrick begins to hear this inner voice again beginning to call him to further his education remember he got taken away kidnapped in the middle of of when he was just being trained as a kid or as a teenager He realized that he needed to have further education, but even more, this inspiring inner voice began to call on him to prepare himself to, get this, go back to the land that had enslaved him, to the people that had treated him so horribly. Patrick, of course, uh, struggles with this, shares it with his family, and his family responds understandably saying, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Why would you want to go back to the people who were so hateful to you? What are you thinking? And yet, Patrick could not shake this inner calling to go back to the people that had treated him so horribly and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Salvation for Patrick was this journey of, first of all, simply acknowledging God's movement in his life saying yes to God's initiative but then also beginning to say no to foolish choices and and then taking a step forward in faith his step forward led him to go to a little island on the coast off the coast of France to an abbey where he began to be trained and learn the education that he'd been robbed of for so long. Now imagine this, he doesn't really read or write Latin very well. And this Catholic monastery where he is being trained, all the other students are much younger than he is. He is years older than them and he's far behind his studies because of all the hardships he's experienced. It would be terribly embarrassing and he even acknowledges the fact that he never really caught up to where all the other students were and yet somehow he was in saying yes to God's initiative in his life no to foolish choices and stepping forward in faith he knew somehow deep in his own soul that God was doing something in his life that had meaning and purpose after many other adventures He he finally makes it back to the land that had enslaved him and the people that had hated him. And he begins, through authenticity and a genuine faith, to simply live out the gospel in their presence. There was no magic. There was no yelling. There was no banging people over the head with the Bible. It was simply living out the gospel of Jesus Christ in the presence of, of these warring tribes and the violence that had been racking the the Irish countryside for generations upon generations. The reason St. Patrick is now called St. Patrick is because this young Roman boy that had been ripped from his parents and enslaved in Ireland, this Patricius who takes the initiative to go to study in in, off the coast of France, or in those days, the coast of Gaul, get trained in a monastery under embarrassing conditions where he couldn't keep up with the other students, now has returned to a land, and little by little, step by step, day by day, person by person, Patrick, in living out the gospel, begins to single-handedly change the lives of those people In Ibernia or Scotus or Ireland. By the time Patrick dies, and it was probably in his early 40s when he finishes his education and finally gets back to Ireland, and for the next 20 to 25 years, Patricius, later St. Patrick, completely transforms the way Ireland lived and worked acted and interacted the people with one another. But that doesn't just stop the story. For the salvation that that Patrick lives out, the salvation that God initiated in his heart, the yes that St. Patrick gives, and the no that he says to foolish choices, and the stepping forward in faith to good choices. Thomas Cahill uh, gives a terrific rendition of how the Irish saved civilization, for it was not just St. Patrick's working with the Irish people and transforming in one generation a warring tribal society into a united land of Christian brothers and sisters. But those Christian brothers and sisters in Ireland, it turns out, by the time St. Patrick died, the western part of the Roman Empire was beginning to collapse. There were thousands and thousands of people fleeing from the Germanic tribes that were invading that part of Gaul and Italy and Spain and Portugal, and they were fleeing to the west. Many of them ended up as refugees in Ireland. And as Thomas Cahill points out in How the Irish Saved Civilization, the the untold story of Ireland's heroic role from the fall of rome to the rise of medieval europe what saint patrick set in motion as simply living out an authentic life of faith saying yes to god's initiative in his life saying no to foolish choices and stepping forward in faith what saint patrick unleashed in ireland was a whole land of people who began to live out their christian lives in welcoming people in need and as a result these folks fleeing for their lives, also it turns out, were bringing all kinds of of books and and papyrus uh, folders and very important philosophical treaties and theological works and copies of the Bible and all kinds of things that that the folks from this Roman Empire now are 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 bringing to Ireland and. The Christians of Ireland begin to not only welcome them and care for them, but they begin to help educate and learn from and interact with and copy those manuscripts and protect and in a way, as Thomas Cahill says in his book, save Western civilization by preserving all those incredible documents and and works of art and works of intellectual beauty and truth. St. Patrick. St. Patrick uh, is an amazing reminder of how God initiates this incredible sense of salvation in our lives. Not so much saved from. Yes, St. Patrick was saved from his enslavement. He was saved from his sadness. He was saved from his isolation. But even more, St. Patrick was saved for, moving forward in faith to help others, to give others a sense of hope and vision for something better than the pettiness and foolishness and viciousness that they had been living under and with. Salvation, how to really be saved. We say yes to God's initiative in our lives. We say no to foolish choices and we step forward in faith. Knowing that somehow God is going to be doing something good and right and exciting in your life and in my life. Why? Because God so loved the world. God so loves you and me. And it's by grace we are saved through faith. Brothers and sisters, may you not just be saved from the messiness and craziness of our lives, the isolation. And loneliness. May we not just be saved from the foolishness and sinfulness that that all of us struggle with, but that we be reminded we are saved for God's goodness and God's grace channeled through us, because God's eternal becomes a part of our temporal. And energizes us and strengthens us and empowers us then to move out in the shape of the cross in this horizontal sense of community by welcoming and giving and sharing and being a part of God's good gifts in this world like St. Patrick may you experience the power of God's salvation let us all this day say yes to God's initiative in our lives, and continue to say no to the unhelpful and unhealthy. And this day, step forward in faith and see the good things that God is doing and will do through you and through me. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen.